welcome to Trustify Radio. Trustify, find peace of mind. Welcome everyone to our weekly Trustify Ask a PI Anything. And we are thrilled to have with us today, James Cleanock. Thank you so much, James, for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, I am Jen Mellon and I am the co-founder and um, Chief Revenue Officer here at Trustify, and we are thrilled to have everyone watching us today. So if you have any questions for James, we will be taking them on social media, so feel free to tweet at us at Trustify, or on Facebook, or you can send us an email at social at Trustify.info. So we'll get started here. So James, tell me a little bit about, about your background and how you became a private investigator who specializes in forensics. Um, well, you know, I, I I never thought I'd find myself in this in this position. I didn't aspire to do this kind of work, to be honest with you. Um, but I've always uh, been involved in computers uh, since I was very young, and and uh, I was working in the field of CD and DVD production. And uh, I was actually contacted by a government agency, and they said, you know, you're one of the few guys in the country that knows the ins and outs of this technology and and uh and how it works and we have a forensics case that we need some help on and wondered if you could help and, uh, I, I agreed to help and and uh you know ever since then i've been really had a focus on forensics and uh and then i started doing forensic investigations involved in child exploitation and i worked with uh different uh, law enforcement agencies from around the world and in the United States and working in child exploitation and uh, and then working in private investigations just kind of stemmed from from that from my work uh, with law enforcement so um, I've, I've you know enjoyed many years of being a, a consultant to law enforcement in, in forensics and investigations and uh, and then uh, I started doing private work to kind of help individuals and individual families that may not know what to do if, you know, child exploitation touches their life, touches their family, and they're not sure what to do. Uh, so, so I started working in private investigations in, in that area, but I do all kinds of private investigations. That just happens to be my specialty. Well, we commend you for your amazing work in helping so many families and children. Um, that's something that's very close to our heart here at Trustify, and um, we just love working with you for your heart for that issue, and, and you're just one of the best at what you do. So we're really thrilled to be able to have you today and have everyone ask some questions. So I'm sure without even looking at the questions we've received that one of the first things our viewers are going to ask is why forensics, and when did you know this was something you wanted to get into? Why forensics? It, how, did, how did I know I wanted to get into it? Well, uh, you know, there's just something about how technology is being used in our lives today. It's, 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 it's being used in all aspects of our lives. I mean, people, people live on their phones and, and on, on their devices, and it's used for everything from, you know, uh, of course, social media, so keeping in touch with people and communication, um, to banking and, you know, all different kinds of things these days. But it's also used by criminals. You know, the internet and technology is used to, to exploit people, uh, to steal, and uh, for a lot of different, a lot of different ways. There's, there's almost, 
no crime type that I can think of that uh, technology is not somehow involved. And uh, you know, so I, I knew that I could I could leverage the skills that I had in technology, and uh, and, and grow my experience and my knowledge in forensics specifically to help you know, go after some of the, the more the more pressing issues that we have in society today. Great. So tell us, what's the one thing, um, your number one tool in your PI tool belt in forensics? Well, because, yeah, because I'm a forensics guy, um, I guess I'm a little different than your average private investigator. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's what we have to ask you because we ask everyone. So your answer will be very different. My, my favorite tool is my, and this is not a plug, but this is the truth. This, this is a, my favorite tool is my Microsoft Surface tablet computer. Um, that, having that has changed my capabilities in the field uh, tremendously, whether I'm working on a forensics case or not, whether I'm working on you know, normal, uh, some other kind of private investigation. Um, you know, that, having that laptop with me and having access to information uh, just makes all the difference in the world. And, you know, there's a lot of really cool little gadgets and tools and things like that that we use in private investigations. But uh, by far, my favorite is that is that uh, tablet computer. That's great. That's great. I'm sure most people weren't think that would be the answer. So that's great. <laughs> um, so. You, you spoke a little bit briefly on the different types of investigations you work on, but maybe you could talk specifics because I know some of our viewers would say, well, how would forensics uh, maybe help my case or something that, you know, I need help from a private investigator. So maybe you can use a, a case or two examples on how you can be beneficial to their case. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, technology today is used in so many different crime types and, and it holds so much evidence, you know, whether it's a, a a harassment case. I mean, I see those all the time. Harassment, you know, slash bullying uh, with young people, um, or stalking cases, uh, things like that, where where there's almost always evidence electronically on some device or some email account or some social media account or or something. There's almost always evidence contained in a device, and and being able to take that device and forensically extract that evidence to help that person, you know, put a case together uh, to help stop whatever behavior it is that, you know, that's happening, uh, you know, to help stop that. To put, and, and I say forensically extract that information because it has to be done a certain way in order for it to be uh, legally acceptable if a case were to be opened, whether it was a criminal case or even a civil suit. Uh, the information has to be collected and processed in a forensic manner by someone with experience and with right tools to do it um, in order for that evidence to be admissible. And, and uh, you know, and let's, let's, take a, let's take a harassment case, for example. Um, I was recently involved in a case that came through to me through a third party, someone that had heard me speak at a, at a high school where I where had done some speaking on cyber safety. And they contacted me and they said, you know, I'm the friend of, a, of a, a friend of mine, she said, their their son was a victim of um, exploitation in a teacher-student relationship. Um, and this teacher 
happen to be out at the current time on on bond, had bonded out of jail and was awaiting you know a, a trial, and they suspected that some of the text messages or actually they weren't text messages they were messages coming through various social media outlets to this child they suspected that that these messages that were coming through this child were coming from from this uh this suspect who was out on on bail at the time um, but they were using anonymous they thought they thought they were anonymously you know making these uh these communications to this child so so I engaged with them totally pro bono uh, to to work with them to try to identify the sender of, of those messages and to confirm that it was this person that was uh, that was out on bail. So essentially, we were able to prove that this person was continuing to victimize uh, this child even while waiting for trial, and, uh, and so. And that's a case of harassment and also a case of child exploitation. But, but uh, you know, in that case, I use a lot of examples in child exploitation because I've done a lot of that kind of work. But, um, you know, this applies to, you know, all, all people as well. I mean, not just children, but, uh, you know, people are harassed online all the time. Uh, you know, mean things are said, which kind of, you know, some, somewhat you have to kind of roll, let it roll off your back in social media. But, but when threats are made or or uh, extortion, you know, a lot of times on time, online extortion is a big thing these days. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to do a forensic digital investigation in cases like that can make all the difference in the world in the outcome. I'm so glad you spoke to that because I think sometimes we get customers or clients writing or calling into us saying, can you help me? with these specific either stalking or harassment or exploitation or blackmail cases. Um, and they just don't know the resources they have out there. So I'm just so glad that you can speak about your work, James, specifically and you know, giving them peace of mind when they need it most. That's really our mission here at Trustify and it's why we just respect the work you do so much because you really are the best at what you do. So um, that's I appreciate it. And, and I have to say that, you know, um, I've, I've done, different kinds of cases for Trustify. And, and you know, what's interesting is that with the background that I have in, in, in uh, forensic investigations or digital investigations, if you will, um, it's been interesting that many of these cases, from the beginning, they didn't really think that they might have a need for that. And then once, once I've consulted with the client, with the person and, and discussed what was really going on, what, what, uh, what information might be helpful to help stop the activity that was happening or, or, or to get evidence of whatever it was they wanted evidence of. Uh, it, it's surprising how many times that, uh, you know, in addition to maybe, you know, regular surveillance work, that uh, forensics work is done to gather that evidence. It happens all the time where people say, oh, I, I, there are people watching right now saying, well, I would never need this kind of service. And really when they look into their case, and I'm glad you can see that, they're really amazed by how much sometimes forensics does come into play. So we are grateful for you. You know, one of the things we're asked often is what kind of, what types of things can private investigators, what are they not allowed to do in terms of your work specifically with forensics? Yes, I, I get that. 
where heart stops. Sorry, I, I, get, I get that question a lot as well. And, and uh, you know, to be quite frank, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, can't we just hack into that email account and get what we need? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, we can't. We can't do that. Um, you know, so so to answer that question directly, you know, we can't hack. Um, we can't access unauthorized in unauthorized ways um, devices about that other people own. Uh, online accounts that other people own. Um, we can't we can't make that kind of access uh, without permission. Now there are some caveats to that. Uh, if if someone brings a cell phone to me or a, or a device to or computer to me, whatever it might be, um, they bring that device to me and they can prove ownership of it some kind of ownership of that device, yep. uh, I can help them understand whether they have enough information to prove ownership to where we can examine that device and, and pull evidence from it. Now, in addition to that, um, there are, in the private investigator world, there's something called pretext. Uh, and at, at times we can use techniques and pretext to gain information through social media that could be relevant to a case um, without having to access other someone else's account in an unauthorized way. That's great. So what are some of the things that, um, this question was asked, are there things I can I do? I think I might've lost you. Are you oh, there? Yep, can you see me? Everyone just hold tight. And if you have questions for James today, who is um, a private investigator who specializes in forensics, please send them to our Twitter handle at Trustify or email us at social at Trustify.info or you can always go to our Facebook page, Trustify app on Facebook and submit your questions for James. So they be, can be questions about a specific case or maybe you're wondering how a private investigator or Trustify or how his specialized work in forensics can help your case. So if you submit those questions, we will ask on the air. For those of us who are joining live, you can also have Sloan for telling us to refresh. I think that worked on my end. Hopefully it will work on James's end as well. Um, worries, but we're getting lots of great questions and everyone's saying they're enjoying so far. And we're really grateful to have you, James. So thanks for bearing with the technology. <laughs> so, um, What's one thing people can do? It's a question we just received. Um, are there things I can do before hiring a private investigator that will improve the odds of a successful outcome for their investigation? Absolutely. Um, and you know, since I've been talking about you know digital investigations and such so far, I'll I'll, I'll mention that now again. Yes. Um, when you're when you're looking at a digital investigation of any kind, whether it's something that involves a cell phone, a computer, email account, social media account, it's important to it's important to let's let's talk about the devices first. If it's a phone, it's important not not to well, it's important not to delete the information. Uh, you know, there's sometimes we can get the information back if it has been deleted. I've I've had people come to me and say, you know what, there's something that happened to me a year ago. And, you know, I deleted it. I don't have the information anymore, but I, I want to use it now. Now I want to follow through on this and, and uh, hold this person accountable. And 
you know, so I, I was able to retrieve that information. And a lot of times we are, but, but technology is getting better when it comes to things like encryption and things like that. So, so even as forensic examiners, we have a difficult time sometimes in uh, recovering deleted information. So first and foremost, if you have something that you think is, is part of a case, um, don't delete it. You know, don't do anything extra special with it. Just leave it the way it is and uh, don't delete it. And we'll give you instructions at the right time on how, how we can preserve that information. So that's a number one. Uh, the second thing is, is, is if you can develop a timeline of events, even just, you know, just a simple timeline of events of when things occurred as best as you can remember, that will help us reconstruct, you know, the, 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 the things that happened and be able to build out more information about your case and, and, and know how we can address it more directly. If we're hunting for information all the time, uh, it's not the best use of, of, of our time or your time. So as soon as you start seeing signs of something that's just not right, start a timeline, just a short little timeline. Make, make notes in your phone or, or uh, in a little notepad or something, but just start creating a timeline of events that will help out greatly. That's great, excellent. So as a private investigator, is there such thing as digital surveillance? Digital surveillance. Um, yes, there is such a thing, and it, ha and it, it can be used uh, in certain circumstances. Not in all. Um, for example, some people would consider placing a GPS device on someone's vehicle to track the movements of that vehicle or that person as digital surveillance. That's not, uh, that's not legal all around the country in every state. And you have to know the laws in your specific state in order to know whether you can use a, uh, a method like that, digital surveillance method like that. Um, very important that you understand because you wouldn't want either as an investigator or as the client, uh, you wouldn't want to be held liable for making that mistake you know, being charged with stalking or harassment or something like that because you misuse, misuse technology uh, for, for tracking or surveillance somebody. Now, another example of, of digital surveillance uh, can be done by monitoring the social media outlets or social media accounts of the individuals that you're watching. And there's a couple ways that that can be done. That can be done you know, if, if their accounts are just open to the public and they're not locked down, there's a lot, sometimes there's a lot of information that can be gained um, from just those social media accounts, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. Uh, but sometimes, even if they are locked down and they're private, I mentioned this before, I don't know if everyone can hear me when I mentioned it, it was while I, we had the, the, the linking communication. Yeah. Please say it again, because I'm not sure they did. Okay, but I, I mentioned that, you know, the, the technique or the method of pretexting or creating a pretext can be used by private investigators at certain times to gain information as well. So even if a social media account is locked down and it's private, it doesn't mean that we can't attempt to engage with that person yes. and gain and acquire the information that we might be able to get from, from those social media accounts. Um, of course, again, you have to understand the laws around those things, but that's what we can help you with during the consultation is to understand 
what can be done. Um, that that is considered a form of digital surveillance. Uh, so that's it's very it's a very real thing. Now, some people ask also about recording devices, video you know video re devices or audio bugs, things like that. Um, again, there's laws about using those things. So, for example, in the state of Colorado, let's say we want to record a phone conversation. We can do that as long as the person recording the conversation is one of the parties on the call. So if it's if it's my, if I'm on the if I'm on the call, I can record that call because I'm a part of it. Uh, I can't just you know record someone else's call that I'm not a part of. So, and, and kind of the same thing goes with video. In uh, in the cases of using video, you know you 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 can't throw a video device you know just aimed uh, at someone's house or you know at someone's office or. You know something like that to track their comings and goings. Um, you know, it, it needs to be something that you know you have a property right there uh, in order to be able to videotape that that information. Now, videotape video is used in surveillance, and that's perfectly fine to be, to use in surveillance activities by a private investigator. Uh, but again, it's important to know the laws about how to use digital surveillance in order right. to make sure that. You're not stepping all over what evidence you might have and actually hurting your case. Right, exactly. And that's why they need good private investigators like you. So that's what happens. People start going on their own and realizing that they're hitting roadblocks or they're worried it's going to be admissible in court or they talk to a lawyer who says you really need the help of a private investigator. Um, right. I'm really glad you spoke to that. What are some things that we receive this question that are not admissible in court? That would not be admissible. And I know it varies by state, but that was the kind of the question. So maybe you can speak to your own experience. Well, right off the top, I would say things that you know, information that was gathered uh, illegally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, if you if if you have some information, let's say that came off of someone else's phone, but you didn't you didn't have permission, you didn't have a right to uh, you know to be to have that phone or to look at that phone. Um, that's not going to be admissible in most cases. Uh, that's for that's for the judge and the prosecutors and, and whatnot to decide uh, what's admissible. But um, it's important to understand that right from the beginning that that you have to follow the rules and, uh, and the information gained lawfully can most certainly be used, you know, as evidence. Uh, so I think that's really that's really the litmus test for what cannot be used in court is is what you know what was gained illegally. So you have to think about the methods that were used to get that information before you use it in the case. That's great. Um, we received some questions from parents about keeping their children safe online. So maybe you can speak just just you know as a private investigator who deals with this, maybe some tips you have for parents in protecting their children online. Oh, absolutely, and I'm so glad you asked that question. I I, I teach uh, I teach in some high schools around here in Colorado and, and uh, in some religious organizations. I have a program that actually I go out and teach, uh, and uh, I've been doing it since about 2011 because when I was working in child exploitation, I wanted to do more than just you know work on work on cases after the fact. I wanted to do something preventative. I wanted to try to make a difference. Uh, and help these kids understand the threats that are out there before they're victimized. 
And so in, in, in the class that I teach, I, I teach about being able to recognize the warning signs. Now, I teach the kids and I teach the parents separately because uh, there's warning signs that parents can see or behaviors or actions that their kids are taking that parents would that parents should be able to notice. Uh, you know that that their kid their child is not acting maybe as they normally would. Um, using social media at, at off times, uh, you know, when they should let's say when they should be sleeping. For example, they should be in bed or they should be doing other things and they're on social media. But com combined, those those anomalies, if you will, in their usage, along with their behavior, you know, are they showing signs of, of depression? Are they showing signs of just being distressed about something? And, and they're not talking to you about what it is. Um, it's important to try to, as a parent, it's important to try to read those signs, see those signs and engage in conversation with that child about what's going on. Um, sometimes they're afraid to talk. They're afraid to say anything because they, you know, statistics show that a vast majority of the time, the people that are victimizing children are known to the child already. So whether it's a what they thought was a friend or, or an associate, associate in a church or in their school or something like that, they're afraid to say anything because they feel like they're getting that other person in trouble. Right. Um, and so it's, it's important to just engage in conversation and help them understand that, that just because they're telling you what's going on doesn't necessarily mean that person's going to get in trouble, but that you as a parent need to know that you need to know what's happening. Yes. Um, so that, you know, from a, from a little bit different perspective, another tip and tech, technique or tip, I guess you could say that I give to parents, you know, a lot of, I'm, I'm a parent, I have three kids, uh, a lot of us, well, I'm a little different because I'm a computer guy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a forensic technician, <laughs> I know technology pretty well, but there's so many parents out there that just don't, they don't understand how technology works, they don't understand these new devices or these new social media outlets. And it's important to sit down right next to your child when they say, hey, I want to get a Facebook account or or when you find out they already have one right. or, uh, you know, I want to I want to get a Twitter account or you find out that they already have one. Right. Important to sit down with them and say, show me how this works. Mm -hmm. Show me how this, you know, show me how show me how Facebook works. Sit down with them. You know, Twitter, show me who you, who's tweeting you. What, what's a tweet? You know, educate me on this. Learn how this stuff works. Befriend them, whether it's a friend, you know, whether it's a friend request on Facebook or, or yes. whatnot. Yes. Make, sure that, make sure that you're a friend on these yes. social media accounts so you see what's going on. Um, now, is that going to prevent them from opening a secondary account, you know, that you don't know about? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's not going to prevent that. But now they know that you're engaged with them and they know that they know that uh, you know how to use the technology. They know that you know, as a parent that they are using the technology and that you're aware and concerned. Yes. Um, and then, it, it, you know, again, just another tip, if I could give another one. No, please. This is so important. To, to the kids. It's probably not any kids watching this. They shouldn't be there in school right now. Yes. 
Um, but uh, have recording you know, later though on social media, so please, it's great. If, if any kids see this, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I'm going to say this: shout out to Air Academy High School oh. in Colorado Springs. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, I, I, I taught them just last week, That's and uh, I'm in there all the time. They're a great group of people, great group of teachers, and they take they take these issues very seriously at that school, as well as Rampart High School in Colorado Springs. Um, so just a quick shout out to them. But back to the point. Um, it's important. Three things are very important to kids understand So using social media. Social media or just, you know, any any electronic communication. Three things are ignore, block, and report. Now, when I say ignore, I don't mean, you know, I, I mean don't don't take the things that are said that are negative about you or or that are uh, derogatory in any way. Don't take those to heart. Don't take them seriously. You know, people act differently when they when they use these tools and think they can be anonymous. Yeah. Uh, you know, they say things that that. You know, to make other people laugh, or to make to make other people try to, you know, uh, join join in on on the bashing yeah. that kind of thing, um, and it's not necessarily how they would they would act to you in person. So, first and foremost, don't don't take those things to heart. Don't take them too seriously. Um, people can be mean. Kids can be mean to each other. And when I say ignore, that's what I mean. Now, block is exactly that. In almost every single social media tool there is out there, and including on cell phones and different devices, you can block contacts from people that you don't want to hear from. And I encourage kids and parents to use that capability the first time. Don't wait. Don't wait. You know, just thinking, oh, you know, it's just a one-time one thing. Right. No, use it the first time. Yes. When that hateful message comes across, block them. If you if you have to, you know, if, if it comes across through text message, contact your carrier, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, whatever it is. Contact your carrier, use their tools, or call their customer service directly. Block that number so no more of those come through. Yes. Uh, do the same thing on social media right away. Now, the third thing was was report. It's important to understand, for kids, it's important to understand that they have so many more people that are concerned about their well-being that will help them than they think. A lot of times when, when a child is involved in something that's, that's making them very emotional, they tend to kind of get tunnel vision and think that, you know, this, you know what, these, what these people are saying about me, this is what the whole world thinks about me. And that's just not the case. It's, it's, it's a natural thing in adolescence to do that. Uh, but we have, to, we have to try to help them to understand that they have a support network around them that they can reach out to. Yeah. Uh, parents, of course, are a part of that. Um, teachers, counselors, law enforcement when necessary and if necessary. And there are anonymous ways to reach out as well. Uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has a great tip line that can be used. I believe it's cybertip.org. I encourage people to use that. Uh, you can report anonymously or you can report, you know, giving your, your information. 
Right? Either way, and you can report a whole host of different kinds of activities that are threatening yes. a, a child, or, or not even just a child, but just you know things you see online uh, that shouldn't be there or, or, or very disturbing things. You can report them on cybertip.org. Use those tools. If you don't know what else to do, if you don't know who to call, every major metropolitan city in this country has what's called an ICAC unit yes. or Internet, yes. Internet Crimes Against Children. Yes. Part of the task force under the Department of Justice. I've worked with many of them around the country and they know exactly what to do with whether it's uh, harassment, stalking, child exploitation, extortion. They know how to handle these things. Reach out to your local police department, ask for a crimes against children unit, and speak to them about what's going on and they'll tell you what you need to do. So great. I'm so grateful to you, James, for sharing all of this information. I think so many people, when they're in these situations, just don't know where to turn and they um, sometimes can feel helpless and they don't know what the first step can be. So. Um, I, I'm just grateful for the work you do and for sharing that with our listeners today. You know, building on this one um, more question that we received, and it, it kind of backs up a little bit, but it also goes um, to what you just spoke to. When parents are worried about their children and wanting to be able to keep them safe and protect it, what are, and what are or are there ways that they can find out if their child has um, another account, you know, that they may would, would they need to get, would a private investigator be able to help them kind of do some smooth work to see if their children have other social media accounts online? Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. There, there are many uh, different techniques that can be used. Um, you know, you can do an actual, I mean, it, unfortunately I've had to do this several times, but you know, you do an actual forensic examination on, on the child's devices, yeah. phones, computers, that kind of thing. Uh, I did that, uh, you know, I did that once and discovered you know, it's not unusual to find a second account or maybe a third account. But I, one case that I that I've worked on, uh, I found 23 uh, accounts that were unknown to the parents. And you know, this this person was essentially uh, a catfish, if you know what a catfish is. So yep. Yep. Someone else online. Can you share what that is for our viewers who don't know what a catfish is? Yeah, absolutely. You know that. The, the term catfish is, is really, uh, it's, it's slang more or less, but it's to describe someone that's pretending to be somebody else online. And in order to get some kind of gain, a lot of times that's just, you know, to develop some kind of relationship, uh, you know, as, as a, under another persona, um, or to sometimes to actually, you know, get physical gain of some kind. Sometimes it's used, of course, um, in a criminal way to lure lure children uh, and things like that, but that that's what the term catfish means. Somebody that's not themselves online. I'm glad you spoke to that. And James, but, just thank you so much. Yeah, continue. Sorry, sorry uh, to continue on what I was saying about the methods that can be used. Yes. Um, you know, this is something that I in, in the class that I teach, this is something that I tell the parents and I, I try to get this message across. I try really, really hard to get this message across. And that is that 99% of the time, these devices that the kids are using were provided to them by the parent. You own these devices, parents. Yes. Yes. You have the right to look on them. 
I've had parents say to me, well, isn't that an invasion of their privacy? Well, in my opinion, no. It's not an invasion of their privacy. They're your child. It's your device. And if something were to happen that negatively affected their life, I will tell you from experience that you will wish that you had looked. Yes. So as hard as it might be, you might feel that you're snooping. Uh, you know, it's it's no different than, uh, you know, before we had these devices, you know, going into your kid's room and rustling, right. rustling through their drawers, you know. <laughs> their like our parents did, right? <laughs> you know, to see their backpacks, whatever. It's no right. different. It's no different. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to do that. Um, to to try to stay aware of what's going on. So that's a more obvious technique. Just you know, use the use the stewardship, I guess you could say, that you have as a parent. Yes. Uh, to know what's going on. Um, now another another thing is uh, private investigators such such as myself, and you don't have to necessarily be a forensics expert to do these things. Many PIs can do some of these techniques as well, but there are things that we can do to identify accounts, uh, you know, that may belong, secondary accounts or accounts that you don't know about that may belong to your child. Um, so yeah, you know, con contact a PI, tell them what you think is might be going on, and see what they can do for you. Great. Well, James, thank you so much for all of your time today. And thank you for the work you do for Trustify, and thank you for the work you do with our children and in the schools and all the education that you do. You really are making a difference. And I'm really glad you could speak to a broader audience today throughout the country and just share about your work and also how they can keep their children safe. So thank you so much, James, for being with us today. For those of you who joined us later would like to see later, we will have this uh, recording online on our social media site. So thank you again. Have a great day. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.